Hannah's example. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, November 14th, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. Hannah, wife of Elkanah, had no children. She faced the pressures of her culture's maternal expectations by going before the Lord. She was real before the Lord, and God was faithful. Deacon Dana Mix encourages us to follow Hannah's example. Go before the Lord in prayer, be real, and rejoice in who God is. We begin with the lectionary readings. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, beginning in the first chapter with the fourth verse. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Panina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, Eli, the priest, was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Ellie thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Now we're skipping to 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. May the Lord, in the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. 
Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows, bows, bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard his, the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. He will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at the 11th verse. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that face brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, 
not giving up meeting together, as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise with me to hear the words of Jesus, our King, as they're recorded in the Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones and what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I'm he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still not to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is the gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you favor men with knowledge and teach us understanding. Favor us with the knowledge of you, the understanding and the insight that comes from you through your word. Blessed are you, O Lord, the gracious giver of knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to mainly be talking out of 1 Samuel, but I'll be flipping back to Hebrews a bit. So I'm going to start with Elkanah and Hannah. And we know that Elkanah loves Hannah. It's obvious. Um, he gives her a double portion. He's, uh, he, it says the Bible is very clear that he loves her. It says, when the day that came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. And I got to thinking about and the cultural expectations of the time, which were to have children. Panina had kids, so she was fine, but Hannah didn't have kids, and Panina gave her a hard time about it. Not only that, her husband loved Hannah. So you can imagine she doesn't have kids. She's loved by her husband. So this other woman, Panina, is really giving her a hard time. And so I thought about that, how hurtful that must have been for Hannah to be picked on like this, even though she's loved by her husband. And I got to thinking about cultural expectations. And I was talking to some of the ladies at work. And it's the Anglican school, we have about 50 different nationalities, and that includes the kids and the teachers. 
And I was able to talk to uh, an ultra-Orthodox lady. She's in our IN department, and she has seven kids. So it's kind of an obvious question. Like, what are the cultural expectations for you for having children? She's got seven. But we talked about that. And in her community, you are expected to have kids, but they don't give you a hard time like Panina was given Hannah. She said there's other communities, though, that do. And then I was able to talk to two observant Jewish ladies. And one of them, actually her Hebrew name is Panina and her sister's name is Hannah. So this resonated with her very well. <laughs> one of those things. So we were talking also about children and they're observant, not orthodox, but observant. And yeah, you're supposed to have kids. But again, the stigma wasn't there. The, the nastiness from Panina wasn't there. And then I talked to an Arab Muslim lady, it's a wonderful lady. And we were talking about this. And in her community, yeah, you're supposed to have kids. But she said in the more observant Muslim community, if the woman doesn't have children, then the husband's allowed to have a second wife. So the stigma and the expectation is still there. And I was thinking about that for us in the West, and pretty much you're not expected to have very many kids in the West, especially in the United States. There's that uh, famous but not so royal couple that have only pledged to have two children to help save the planet. Um, but then I thought, I, you know, I was thinking about that and the cultural expectations that we have, it's hard to talk about in a group like this because we're all from all over the place. But the one thing we have in common is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are a body of believers. We are a community. And the world puts cultural expectations on us. And what are they? Well, it actually comes down to one word, and that's conform. The world wants us to conform. It wants us to conform to diversity issues, racial issues, gender issues, social justice issues, the LBGTQ agenda, Marxist ide ideas on family and marriage, abortion. They couch these things in words like hope and change, compassion and equality, but it's not biblical. And if you don't conform, you're a bigot. You're full of hate. We'll cancel you. That's what they want us to conform to. Romans 12, 2, the beginning of the verse, it says, and do not be conformed to this world. Not don't think about it. It says, do not be conformed. We know the rest is the renewing of your mind. But that first part's really important. Do not be conformed to this world. 1 John 1.15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We still love people. We still treat people with respect and dignity. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, remember that we're all created in God's image. When I look out, I'm looking at the image of God. If I'm out in the street, I'm looking at the image of God. When you look back at me, you see the image of God because we're all created in his image. There's a difference between the message and the people. Not that it's easy. I'm not a morning person. The love of Christ is not shining from my face the first couple hours in the morning. Okay? But do not conform. The hope and change that people are looking for can't be found in all those, uh, all those programs to change the world. They can only be found in Jesus.
They can only be found in Jesus. So that seems like a lot of pressure. So what do we do? Well, we do what Hannah did. What did Hannah do? Well, after she, after, um, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And what did she do? She went before the Lord. She prayed. And she didn't just pray. She didn't clean herself up. She didn't put on her dress, best dress. She didn't fix her hair, put her makeup on, get her best shoes, get the earrings. She went right to the temple. And it says that uh, she was greatly distressed. The New American Standard says she wept bitterly. That means extreme, forceful, or particularly harsh degree. These aren't just a few tears that trickle down. This woman was crying. I think my kids at school would, would call it ugly crying because it's just, just, it's just nuts. Okay? The New King James says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And anguish means severe mental or physical pain and suffering. This woman was not just doing some frou-frou prayer before the Lord. She was pouring out her soul. In fact, it was so much anguish and so much bitterness that she was actually moving her lips. It had to come out physically. But she was pouring her heart out before the Lord. In other words, she is what we are not most of the time. She was real. In Hebrews, starting with verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A sincere heart, being real before the Lord. And when you have a sincere heart, that means you're free from pretense or deceit. It's proceeding from a genuine feeling. We cannot hide from God, so why do we try? Hebrews 4, 13 through 15. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help in time of need. Draw near to God. He has gone through what we go through. He can sympathize with us. We cannot hide from him. Psalm 139 is very clear. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. We cannot hide from God. So why do we try? And I'm guilty too. Be like Hannah. Be real before the Lord. Come with a sincere heart because God is faithful. We can trust in the Lord. 
And one little side note to that, his timing is perfect. So whatever we're praying for, our heart's desire, we can trust him that he'll be faithful, but it's going to be in his time. Because I was thinking of a couple other ladies that the Bible specifically says their wombs were closed, and that was Sarah and Rachel. And look at the children these three women had, their firstborns, Isaac, Joseph, and Samuel. If Joseph had been born any earlier than he was, would he have been there for the great famine in Egypt? God's timing is perfect. And Hannah having Samuel, and boy, did they need Samuel at the time they needed Samuel, didn't they? And him helping Eli, the high priest, who was a mess. But God's timing is perfect. So have faith. God hears you. And God heard what Hannah said. But we have another example. We don't, Hannah is, is great, but there's something else in Chronicles. Judah was being invaded by the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon and some of the Minunites, Minunites, which I probably just said wrong, but um, there's this great multitude coming upon Judah. And King Jehoshaphat gives this prayer and in verse 12. And this is what Hannah was doing. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. And that great multitude, I was thinking about this cancel culture, these, these, these pressures upon the body of Christ. He says, um, who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat was telling his people, our eyes are on you, Lord. And then there's an answer to Jehoshaphat's prayer. And then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And Hannah did. She gave her heart to the Lord there. This is, you've got to do this. If you want me to have a kid, you've got to do this. And I promise to give him back to you. And she did. But Hannah wasn't done being amazing. Because then what? God answers your prayer. Then what do you do? Well, be like Hannah. In chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Hannah sings a song of thanksgiving. And she's rejoicing. And this is the day, this is probably even a harder day, because this is the day she's leaving Samuel in the temple. Struggled year after year, and all the junk from Panina, and even the not-so-understanding husband, because in verse 8 he goes, why are you weeping? <laughs> Reminds me of a movie. I don't know, it's probably 30 years old now. It's a Kevin Costner uh, Robin Hood movie. And he's talking... Alan Rickman is the sheriff of Nottingham. It's a great role. And he goes down to see his soothsayer, and he takes this dagger, and he just starts banging it on the desk and banging it on the desk. And when he's finished, he just drops it, and he's just standing there. And you can tell he's frustrated because the, you know, Robin Hood's given him a run for his money, basically. And the soothsayer just looks at him deadpan and goes, something vexes thee? Uh, and that's kind of like Hannah, because here's Elkahana going, why are you weeping? 
Why aren't you eating? Dude, come on, a little understanding here. So she's gone through all that, and she gets to the, the day where she's going to keep her promise to the Lord. She doesn't rejoice that she's leaving Samuel, because as I've not been married and I don't have kids, so I can't imagine, but I am imagining that to leave your child, to know that he will no longer spend time with you as a family, leaving him in this temple had, must have been very difficult, probably heartbreaking. And she doesn't rejoice in the fact that she's leaving Samuel. She's just rejoicing in who the Lord is. So God kept his promise. He was faithful, and she could trust him. And then she praised him. And we probably don't do enough praising of the Lord. But even when life is difficult, rejoice. Even when life is difficult, rejoice. Back to Hebrews. Although I think I lost my place. There's one more thing. I like how Hebrews uh, talks about this, uh, the last couple verses of the reading. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are not alone. You are not alone. There are people that will encourage, pray with you, praise with you, rejoice with you. At the school, we have a ladies' Bible study on Tuesday nights. Any of the ladies at school or the wife of a male employee, they're allowed to come. It's a small group, but it's a good group. And we worship together. We sing pretty, I don't know if it's off-key or what. It's interesting. But we pray, we read the word together, and we talk about it. We uh, pray for each other. And recently, uh, especially for one of our teachers, it's kind of her first time coming to us like every time we have it. And we, she asked us to pray for her son. He's trying to get into college out the country. She's local, and they're trying to get him into school. And I believe it's in the Netherlands that he finally got accepted. But it was coming down to the wire of when the last day you would know. And she sent me a text. He finally got accepted to a school. I said, well, you need to tell the rest of the group. And the reason you need to tell the rest of the group is because we need to rejoice with you. God is faithful. He heard your prayer. It's encouraging to be able to rejoice together and to encourage. Because not only did it encourage her, that others were with her in this, but encouraged us to keep praying and to keep encouraging one another. Because we are definitely, definitely not alone. So be like Hannah. Go before the Lord. Be real. And do it together, because you're not alone. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Please give us the grace to be real with you, to come to you in prayer, to walk with you, and to encourage one another. May your word transform us so that we do not conform to this world and help us to love our neighbor and see them as you do. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.